from the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Joe Tate, a Democratic rep from Detroit, will become the Speaker of the House of Representatives when his party takes over the chamber in January the first time in 12 years. Tate is going to join us today to talk about the legislative agenda, the ways in which pent-up Democratic expectations will influence his leadership, and about the milestone he represents as the first African-American ever to lead part of the legislature in Lansing. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Michigan Democrats, of course, had a really historic night last Tuesday on Election Day. They won really big at the ballot box in a year when democracy itself was on the ballot in some ways and when it was a midterm typically a time when the party in power in Washington, in the White House, gets punished. Instead, here, Democrats swept all three statewide offices and won majorities in both houses of the legislature, something that hasn't been true in 40 years. Michigan Democrats are going to control the state house for the first time in 12 years. And the party made history again last week when House Democrats chose State Rep. Joe Tate of Detroit as the new House Speaker. He will be the first African-American man to lead the chamber when he officially takes over in January. As Speaker, it'll be his job to make sure legislation gets passed in the House and that Democrats accomplish their agenda for residents of this state. So what is the party going to do with the ability to pass its agenda and to do it pretty much on its own for the first time in 40 years? What are the priorities that Democrats have in Lansing? And are all the members of the party aligned around what they think is best for Michigan? Reminder, we have seen this kind of alignment on the other side of the aisle before, quite recently, in fact, uh, and the last few years of Rick Snyder's uh, governorship, uh, he had a hard time making anything happen with the Republican legislature. So it's not an automatic uh, license to just do whatever you want just because you control the governorship and both houses of the legislature. So that does leave a lot of questions about what we will see come January out of the first Democratic majority uh, in the legislature in Lansing in, in uh, 40 years. So we've got uh, Joe Tate with us here to talk about uh, this milestone, this historic milestone, and to talk about what Democrats plan to do when they take over in January. Joe Tate, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's great to have you here. Um, so uh, let's start with this. Uh, we knew that redistricting uh, was going to make seats look different here in Michigan after uh, we, we voted to hand that process over to voters in 2018. Uh, we knew that states uh, that seats would probably be more competitive, but I, I'm not sure anyone expected that Democrats could win majorities in both the state house and the Senate in the first cycle. So, what message do you think resonated with Michigan voters that that creates this new majority? Well, I think on on our end, voters, you know, they express their power by putting us um, in majorities in, in the House and the Senate and reelecting the governor. I think the, the strong message, um, there are two things. First, uh, what we saw from the leadership of, of the governor in her first term, uh, being able to focus on historic investments in uh, both education, um, infrastructure, uh, job creation, um, and then looking at 
both the House and Senate Democrats. I mean, we we took the lead on a um, significant amount of issues, uh, working in partnership with the governor, doing doing things in a bipartisan fashion. And when we came out on the campaign trail, uh, we talked about those issues. And we also talked about what uh, we see as a vision for the future of the state. So uh, ensuring that you know our economy is is growing, uh, ensuring that citizens are treated equally before the eyes of, of the state government, uh, ensuring that you know there that voting, um, being able to vote and and lower barriers uh, to vote and ensuring no one's obstructing that. I think that see, that definitely resonated across the board uh, for for Michigan residents, and I think that's what what we saw and. We were uh, excited about the outcome. Yeah, yeah. So in her acceptance speech, the governor already listed uh, a, a number of things for her uh, agenda. And in an interview, you said that, you know, there will be no secrets or surprises here in terms of once we have our agenda and collective vision uh, together. So give me a timeline for, uh, you know, preparing what what. Uh, what both houses, I guess, of, of the legislature will be doing uh, once January comes. And uh, again, you have more power than you've had in 40 years. Absolutely. So when we look at, um, and, and you mentioned too at the beginning, uh, alignment, and I've, I've been mentioning coordination and making sure that we are coordinated uh, um, across the chambers and in the, in the governor's office. But also, I think you saw the issues that we've been talking about in the House. We've been talking about them for 12 years. Um, so how are we supporting first and foremost, I should say, is bodily autonomy. I mean, that's that's been, you know, we saw what happened and took place with uh, Proposal 3, but obviously we have laws on the books like the 1931 abortion ban that, you know, we, we have to be able to send a signal um, there that um, you know, we're ensuring that, um, you know, the voters, uh, you know, ensured during proposal with proposal three, that that was important. Uh, also workers' rights, ensuring that we are uh, supporting uh, our workers across the state of Michigan, um, not only, you know, the safety environment, but making sure, you know, that there are uh, opportunities or that, you know, there's, uh, fair wages for fair work. Um, we will see that. We'll also see in ensuring that we are um, expanding uh, as well to um, you know, civil rights with what we're looking at and making sure that everyone is on an equal footing uh, before before the eyes of the, uh, of the government. And also those those basic issues as, real, as well as improving uh, infrastructure. Um, you know, being able to target resources for for our roads and our water infrastructure systems, um, and as well as our education systems, we we know we have a long way to go, um, and a big part of that is you know how are we directing those resources? Are we giving our um, our schools um, the and putting them in the best position uh, to make our kids successful? Uh, in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk just a little about uh, expectations um, and the things that are on voters' minds that I think they will be looking to uh, Lansing to, to try to address right away. And and of course, top of that list, I think, is is inflation and, and that part of the economy, which, you know, is, is hitting everybody's wallet pretty, pretty hard. Um, it, are things like uh, tax uh, tax breaks, uh, tax reforms, uh, maybe first on the agenda because of the urgency of, of the problems with inflation and, and people's pocketbook issues? Uh, will, will people be able to see uh, this new majority addressing that uh, that quickly once January comes? Absolutely. I, I know that's going certainly going to be at the, the top of the list. Keeping money in, in people's pocketbooks um, is incredibly important. So they're, they're, you know, they have more dollars to put food on the table uh, and, and pay their bills. You know, one, one item 
in particular is increasing the earned income tax credit, mm -hmm. which um, during, um, you know, the, when Republicans were in control, that was something that, that was reduced. But we can, you know, we can double and triple uh, that opportunity uh, for uh, working families to to receive to keep those dollars in their pocket. Uh, uh, the other item too is uh, the retirement tax. Um, that's something that's that's been uh, something that was implemented during uh, when Republicans had control. Uh, I think that's an opportunity for for us too to ensure that that's something as well that we can. Um, keep keep money in people's pockets as well too and ensure that you know those promises that were made are 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 being kept uh, so I think there are opportunities for um, for tax relief and and done in a thoughtful way um, those are just two items but there there are other items and I know that uh, we can definitely look at as as well um, and then the other side of that coin too Stephen is you know, what are we doing with um, attracting jobs and, and creating jobs mm -hmm. and making sure that we are putting the state in the best position? Um, you know, the, the governor has certainly taken the lead and we've partnered with her at, and as Democrats to, to bring investment to the state of Michigan uh, for job creation. So there are those opportunities for uh, good paying, having good paying, not only jobs, but careers uh, moving forward and making this state uh, attractive in particular for me obviously the city of detroit attractive uh, for people that want to come and not only live here but work here as well yeah i'm talking with uh, state rep joe tate he's a democrat from here in detroit uh, he will also be come january the speaker of the house in uh, lansing the first time uh, an african-american uh, will occupy uh, that space. Um, we're talking about Democrats, though, and their historic win last week, uh, handing uh, voters handing complete control of Lansing, the governorship, uh, the other two statewide offices, and both houses of the legislature over to Democrats for the first time in a really long time, talking about what the agenda looks like come January and what voters might expect in terms of results. I also want to hear from you during the conversation, of course. Uh, do you have questions about uh, what Democrats will be doing when they take control in January? What are the things that are on your list? Uh, what are the things that you're concerned about them addressing? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll include you in the conversation that way. Uh, Joe, I want to I talk just a little about the last time Democrats had this power in Lansing. Um, it was the early 1980s, and it didn't last very long. Um, uh, there was a tax increase that came pretty quickly um, behind that uh, that majority, and then uh, there were there were recall elections for uh, for some of the people needed to maintain that majority. And Democrats have not had a majority in the Senate since then. So what's different about this time? Uh, what, what are some of the, I guess, the lessons you could draw from that? But, but also, um, it's been a long time since Democrats had this kind, of, uh, this, this kind of power in Lansing. And that means that the infrastructure uh, inside the chamber, for instance, to, to, to maintain leadership and to build leadership, it's a little rusty if, uh, if not a little de depleted. Uh, talk about uh, both managing expectations, but also uh, managing the chambers uh, for the first time in a really long time. Absolutely. That's that's a great question, Stephen. And I think, as you know, the, the Democratic Party, we are a, uh, a group of, of coalitions. We are diverse. We're coming from uh, all areas of the state, from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. Um, and I think that's something that we should should lean on uh, in terms of you know our our diversity. Um, that's what makes us strong because I think that's you know in terms of who we're talking to, uh, just in a wider audience of uh, Michigan residents that that we are touching. But you're right; it's it's been a a long long while since we've had this opportunity um, here and. 
I think our focus is making sure that voices are being heard um, and that we are staying connected um, with with all of our uh, residents across the state, uh, understanding their issues. And as you mentioned, um, you know, being able to set those expectations. So not only, you know, coordination um, with, uh, for, for myself, uh, with the incoming Senate Majority Leader, uh, Wendy Brinks uh, from the west side of the state, but, but Governor Whitmer uh, and her team, as well as uh, our other statewide elect electeds, as well as the Lieutenant Governor, the Attorney General, the Secretary of State. It's going to be important for, for us uh, to make sure that um, you know we we are in alignment uh, there, and I, I know we will be, um, and then be able to get that message out uh, to Michigan residents and to to show tangible tangible results. I think at, at the end of the day, you know, you know, being from from Detroit, from Southeast Michigan, um, we have to be able to to show that um, we are in charge. And this is how um, we are changing uh, and supporting and improving lives uh, through the way that we govern. And, and we have to do that. Um, uh, if we don't, we're, we're not doing our job uh, at the end of the day. So making that effort to, to be able to engage uh, with our coalitions and be able to, to have a plan on how to do that and be able to communicate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no surprise. We've got a number of callers uh, who who want to speak with you, Joe. But before we get to them, um, I do I do want to talk about this milestone, this incredible uh, milestone that you will represent when you become the Speaker of the House in in January, the first African American uh, to be in that kind of leadership role in, in Lansing. Just first, obviously, I want to say congratulations as uh, as another African American man from here in Detroit, but uh, but tell us uh, about the meaning for you of all this, and also just tell our listeners a little about uh, how you come to this uh, to this role. You've got a really interesting path, I think, that you've followed to this point. Thanks, Stephen. Absolutely. So, uh, first things first, I, I, I certainly didn't get here by myself. I am not an island. I'm standing on the shoulders of others, um, and that that includes the legislators that came before me, um, in particular uh, black legislators and the, the path that they uh, forged. Um, I'm, you know, following behind uh, them. And and for me, it's, you know, starts with my, my family. My dad was a firefighter for the city of Detroit. My mom was a public school teacher uh, for, for the city for a number of years. And instilling service and giving back and, and being involved um, in, in the community. Um, I did take a, a, you know, kind of a, not a, certainly not a straight path here. <laughs> I was involved in athletics and in the military um, before I came back home and, um, and decided to do a, a second service in, in the legislature. And, you know, one of the most important, you know, for me, that just the, the, the history behind it, uh, but one of the most important uh, women in my life is my grandmother. She's a hundred years old, mm -hmm. um, and she came to Michigan to Detroit from Alabama to seek a better life. And um, you know, we we see the evil and injustice of government. I mean, she saw it uh, with segregation and Jim Crow, um, but we also saw the good. With you know, she saw the good with Civil Rights Act. Uh, Voting Rights Act, Medicare, Medicaid. So, you know, having that responsibility of let's showing the good of government uh, is something that's important to me. And especially as a black man and, and as a Detroiter, that's something that's always going to be on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what for you are priorities that you'd like to forward in Lansing as a Detroiter. I mean, lots of folks in the, in the city would would talk about uh, the, the the cold shoulder that I think uh, we feel like we get oftentimes from Lansing, that uh, there isn't enough support for the things that really matter here. Uh, what role do you see yourself playing in, in maybe putting those things a little higher on the agenda? Absolutely. And for, for me, you know, I'm an Eastsider, um, uh, but... Um, 
for me personally, outside of what, what we talked about, um, you know, I, I, I've seen, you know, just the challenges um, with our infrastructure system and, and, and our flooding and, um, you know, a few years back with the high lake levels and high river levels, um, bringing resources uh, to bear to support residents that are here uh, to prevent uh, flooding. Um, also housing. Uh, I think there are some are real opportunities for attainable housing. Uh, you know, we are um, the state should be uh, involved in in supporting just such a critical piece of of people's lives and and where they live, and that's that's incredibly important. Uh, obviously, there's so much dignity that comes with home ownership, but but also you know where you decide to to, you know, if you rent uh, either way. So how are we uh, ensuring that we're bringing additional uh, units uh, online, uh, but doing it and making sure that it's attainable, that it's affordable, um, and that we aren't, you know, pushing people out of neighborhoods as as well. Um, that's gonna be something that's, uh, that's incredibly important. That's something that's personally important to me, uh, those two items and, um, I think bringing the resources to bear from the state is is going to the priority of mine and something that I will be able to to do and support. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to continue talking with Joe Tate, uh, who will be the Speaker of the House in Lansing come January. we got a lot of calls lined up to ask questions of the new Speaker. John on the east side, Lindsay in Detroit, Leslie in Hazel Park, David in Ann Arbor, Mike in Detroit. You'll be up first if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can try to include your comments that way. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Joe Tate, a state rep from here in Detroit, who will become the Speaker of the House in Lansing, uh, the first African-American Speaker of the House come January, thanks to the big wins that Democrats racked up last week during the election. Uh, We're talking about what the Democratic legislative agenda will look like in January, what things they hope to get done, what things you as voters uh, might notice uh, that will get done, things that may ease some of the the problems you're having, especially with the economy. Uh, Also want to hear from you directly about what's on your mind as Democrats stand uh, ready to take power in Lansing. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Uh, I'll start with Twitter here. Big Neo says, I'd like to see the legislature change the gas tax law in Michigan. Currently, wholesale sales of gas are not taxed, which means companies like UPS and FedEx aren't shipping in for the roads. They need to figure out a way to get EVs chipping in, too. Uh, the gas tax is something that we've talked a lot about. Taxes, uh, Tax increases for roads were on um, Governor Whitmer's agenda four years ago uh, when she was originally elected. Uh, Jote, talk though about this question of wholesale uh, gasoline sales and gas tax in general. Absolutely. And and what's important, I think, uh, which was, was in the question is, you know, for a number of years as have we how we've relied on the gas tax and and for for revenue and obviously that's changing mm-hmm. that's changing for the better um, with EVs coming on the road uh, reduced emissions um, 
not only across the, the state, but the region and, and, and the globe is incredibly important. But, you know, we, we still have to be able to uh, fix the roads um, with the revenues that, that we do receive. Uh, so we do have to take a hard look at that. I know other states have, have begun that process and we have somewhat in terms of you know, what is it going to look like when people start adopting EVs um, or even even hybrids uh, more, what does that look like for uh, gas tax uh, revenue? But also there's the, the other side as well too is, is are the prices. Um, we know that that's certainly uh, a burden on Michigan residents uh, when we look at the price of gas. So we have to find a sustainable solution that's going to involve uh, EVs and, and it's going to involve how we um, we have to relook and relook at how we are collecting uh, those those revenues uh, with 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 cars on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Big Neo, appreciate uh, the comment on Twitter. Let's go to Lindsay in Detroit. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Sure. Um, first of all, uh, congratulations, Representative Tate. Um, I'm a new constituent of yours now after the districts have been uh, redrawn. And um, I was uh, wanting to bring up driver's licenses for all. So Right now, you know, undocumented folks in Michigan are not allowed to get driver's licenses after um, 2008 when that was taken away from them. Um, it's something we've been working to try to get through the legislature for several years now. Um, and we'd love to see you be a champion of that. Um, you can learn more about it at a town hall tomorrow evening if you're interested. Mm. Um, but, yeah, what do you think about the idea of driver's licenses for all? Yeah, uh, great question, Lindsay. I really appreciate it. Go ahead, uh, Joe. Yeah, yes, um, that's a great question, Lindsay. I know that's something that we've um you know, uh, we've been supportive of i believe my colleague um, alex garza uh this is something that i know has been um on his um on his radar uh ensuring that uh we do have driver's license for all and having conversations with a number of groups i think it may it, right it absolutely makes sense um you know we should be able to um ensure that um people have these op these opportunities and and um, being able to put that in the position um, to to support and not to have you know people driving without a license um, is is something that is you know it doesn't help the state it doesn't help us I know we had legislation in introduced this session but that's something that you know we'll certainly be looking at um, uh, for next legislative session. Um, see if we can can move and 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 find a solution to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lindsay, uh, appreciate the call and of course the info there. Let's go to Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, what's on your mind? Yes, um, I'm a retiree, and it, it baffles me to death the fact that we're now being ta not now, but we have been being taxed on our retirement and I was wondering if there's anything that um, is in the in the making or if you can it's a possibility if you can introduce some sort of legislation to remove that because we've already paid on that and it, I, it should be illegal to tax again the people that don't have the ability to up their uh, to like take overtime or something like that. Hmm. Leslie, I really appreciate the call and, and that issue. Uh, Joe, of course, the pension tax is pretty controversial. It's very unpopular, I know, with, uh, with seniors. What's the, what's the outlook for that and, and doing something about it once, uh, once Democrats take over in January? Yes, thank, thank you for the question, Leslie. And, and you're right. You're right. I mean, we, we have made a, a promise to um, uh, pensioners um, around that and that promise was broken um you know during uh when when republicans were were in, were in charge um so this is something that has been talked about i know that this is something that uh democrats have have looked at and also um you know i i would say too is something that is uh we we have seen some bipartisan support around um you know eliminating uh you know taxes and tax relief 
uh, something that the governor has brought up. I, I currently serve on appropriations as well, so there have been several discussions around this in terms of, you know, how do we get this and, and create this tax relief um, and uh, go back to um, to having that those pensions and those um, those pensions not being taxed. So it's something that's definitely at at the top of our our mind. And it's something that you know we will see in the next uh, legislative session, uh, especially where where we're at in terms of our footing uh, fiscally as as well. To uh, we have an opportunity to to do that with uh, our balance sheet. Yeah, you know, uh, th- th- we, we do have lots of money in Lansing for the first time in a long time. I mean, more money, in fact, than I can ever remember, you know, an administration kind of, uh, you know, kicking things off with. But a lot of it is one-time money. I mean, it's it's coming from ARPA. It's coming from some of the other things that the federal government's trying to do to help out states and, and local governments. If you change something like a pension tax, though, uh, that's a permanent revenue source. And and there are other things that we've talked about that would change the, the overall balance sheet over a long period of time. Talk about the balance, though, I guess, of being able to use this money that way, or do you feel like the growth in uh, in tax receipts overall, which has also happened, uh, is enough to be able to do some of these things? Yes, and it, you're right. We do right now have a robust balance sheet, and, and there is a lot of those resources have come uh, from the federal government uh, through ARPA and through um, – through, um, uh, support during uh, during the COVID pandemic, uh, but and we have to to be thoughtful. At the end of the day, we can't you know um, we can't take a chainsaw to you know the budget in terms of you know cutting um, revenue sources. Uh, we have to be thoughtful. I view it more as a scalpel. And and what we talked about you know, for a number of years, you know, our our values uh, around putting more money in. In people's pockets, and you know, two two items that still stand out, you know, are the retirement or pension tax uh, that we do have, as well as uh, earned income tax credit. So I think those are ways that we can um, absorb that without um, without lowering um, what we need to do to to operate government and provide services to Michigan residents. We have to be thoughtful at the end of the day. We want to be to be prudent, but we want to make sure that uh, also that we're not overburdening uh, Michigan residents um, with with you know the, the tax burden. Yeah, uh, Tobias on Twitter says uh, you were duped on auto no fault reform. Rates are going up. How are you going to fix it? Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is. Um, you know, when we looked at it, it was my first term when we had uh, auto no fault reform. And, you know, the big question was at the end of the day, and as a Detroiter, we're paying one of the highest, you know, highest auto insurance rates uh, uh, in the country. And, um, you know, I think we saw um, anecdotally, I think people see across across the city, um, um, you know, what happens and what are those effects when people don't and can't afford auto insurance? And that's something we're we're going to have to look at. You're absolutely right. I mean, no legislation is is perfect. Anything that we enact, um, you know, we try to solve problems, and and sometimes we 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 create new challenges. Uh, so that's something in terms of uh, although no fault, we you know we have to be able uh, to look at. We saw some of the things done. Uh, by the governor, um, you know, in terms of pr- trying to provide more relief uh, there, I know with the, with the rebate uh, from um, MMCA as well. Uh, but we do have to take a look at it, see, um, you know, what what does it look like, and is it having the impacts that it's it's it was supposed to be having? If not, take a look at it and see, you know, uh, what makes sense. Uh, in terms of moving forward, yeah. Um, do you think that um, the the compromise we made 
for that, which allows people to forego the most expensive part of of insurance, which is the guarantee of long-term care if you're in you know, a terrible wreck. Do you think that was a reasonable compromise? I mean, I worry a lot about folks not having that. Uh, I mean, let's put the price of insurance aside for a second, and it, I think there are a lot of things that didn't happen there. But this idea that people are being told that in order to lower their rates, they've got to give up something that, that they would desperately need if, uh, if they had a bad accident. Right, and 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 that's something that I know always was a um, uh, a concern that that was looked at, um, and I know that um, as as well on the the other side too is you know what does it look like for say for instance you know just a, as an example you know someone gets pulled over without auto insurance because the rates are are too high and you know even. In the city, we haven't brought this up, but redlining as well, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. been something that's been uh, incredibly impactful um, to to those in in the city of Detroit and others across the state. Um, But what does that do and and how does that create kind of the cycle if 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 costs or fines uh, pick up there and, you know, how how do people dig themselves out of that hole if 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 say um you know they it starts with them not having insurance but you're absolutely right that's something that we we do have to to be able to consider um you know we we know that you know catastrophic accidents happen um and that um you know that that there has to be um that ability for for people to to be taken care of yeah uh, I want to take one more quick call here. Uh, David in Detroit. David, go ahead. Uh, good morning, and thanks for the conversation. Uh, congratulations on your uh, speakership elect there, uh, Representative Tate. And uh, my question is, uh, with the buffet of issues and challenges that are in front of uh, the caucus now that you have uh, legislative control for the first time in many decades, I'm thinking, you know, is there a time to pause and sort of breathe deeply and think about solving for lowest common denominator? Uh, and, and the example I want to bring up is in, in Michigan, public students do not have a right to a quality public education. And they would only get that if it got enshrined in the state constitution, because we know there's a litany of court cases out there. Uh, and Detroit hasn't even received its fair share from the, the federal settlement that they had. So would you support uh, enshrining a right to a quality public education in the state constitution and put that before voters? Hmm. Uh, great, great question, David. I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, go ahead, Joe. That, that is a great question. You're absolutely right. I mean, when we look at, I know there was a literacy lawsuit and I know there were bills that, you know, after the lawsuit came out, just trying to work with uh, the legislature and we never got across the finish line. But I think that's something that we do, you know, certainly take a look at. And I think from the legislature's point of view, you know, it is, you know, what what can we do, um, you know, with getting things passed and providing resources uh, to our education system and then also the policy. Uh, attached to that, um, you know, when, when we look at uh, ballot initiatives, that that's going to be a, um, I think, a larger discussion as 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 we do that that we should, you know, have uh, around that. But thinking through, you know, what are those things that we can immediately impact? And I say that, you know. Com- and from the government point of view, you know that 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 takes on uh, a different shape and, and different timeline. So I, I think for me, my focus is is you know understanding you know what are the needs of of the students to get them to a standard uh, that they can be successful, um, and then how do we put those resources? How does the state put those resources um, in educators? Uh, hands uh, for them to happen. But that's something that we can continue having conversations about. Um, obviously, the literacy case is going to be something that's going to be, you know, top of mind um, as well. Um, 
moving into the But what about the idea of a, of a constitutional amendment uh, in front of voters to, to make a quality education part of, uh, of the Constitution? Would you support that? Absolutely. I think that's something that we can we can we can talk about. And I think for for us putting it out in front of voters, but also being able to have those conversations um, around because when we put it out to a vote, what what is that going to look like, yeah. uh, Stephen? How do you define you know, and, it? Right. Yeah. How do you how do you look at it? Yeah. What What's going to be the approach? I think there's going to be, you know, several factors actors as we look into it um, and from you know from where I sit and the work that you know we have to do at the legislature um, passing policy and approving budgets you know that's um, something that's going to obviously be in our wheelhouse and and how are we complementing that if that is you know if that moves forward and making sure that we're still doing our job in, in the legislature but still being able to have that conversation and see you know, is what does that pathway look like? And like you said, how is that how is that going to be defined? Yeah. Okay, uh, Joe Tate, the state rep from here in Detroit, incoming Speaker of the House in the Michigan House of Representatives. It was really great to talk with you about uh, the legislative agenda come January. Congratulations again, and uh, we hope that you'll come back soon and talk a little more with our listeners. Happy to do it again, Stephen. Thank you so much. Okay, we are going to take another quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to check in on the issues that are facing schools in Detroit and statewide due to the pandemic and the elections with Chalkbeat reporter Kobe Levin. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. The success of Michigan Democrats statewide has been, of course, the big story that we follow now in politics because of what happened uh, during last Tuesday's elections. But even beyond those races, the big races, Democrats had success staving off challenges from conservative activists in several local school board races. Only 48 of 121 candidates recommended by two major groups in Michigan that were supporting these conservative candidates won office. So for now, it seems that attacking public schools starting arguments about books in the libraries, maybe that is not the best way to win public office. Still, these newly elected school boards are going to face challenges that were not often discussed on the campaign trail, Uh, things like school attendance. While some candidates were focused on wedge issues centering around LGBTQ protections, books in the libraries, and the so-called woke ideology that they claim is threatening classrooms, the rise of chronic absenteeism is really one of the most troubling trends in our public schools. In Michigan, hundreds of thousands of students are missing at least 18 school days every year. And these absences have harmful results, including lower grades, higher struggles in college, and increased rates of just dropping out of school altogether. But what is causing this issue in Michigan? What's maybe making it worse uh, since the pandemic? And uh, what can we do as a community to try to fix the issue? To discuss these issues and more, we're joined by Kobe Levin. He's a reporter for Chalkbeat Detroit. He recently wrote a piece titled not present and paying a steep cost. How pandemic recovery in Detroit and across Michigan hinges on getting kids to class. Kobe, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So before we get into these uh, school board elections, talk about what's going on in Detroit and across the state in terms of absenteeism. So this is a really concerning trend that educators in Detroit in particular have been watching for kind of a long time. Um, Just last year, two thirds of kids in Detroit missed at least one of every 10 school days. Uh, And I think for a lot of folks, uh, you might not be thinking that hard about attendance. You know, they're missing for doctor's appointments, (laughs) for uh, for falling ill. Uh, You may say, so what? 
But if you look at the research, the costs here are really, really steep. And we know that a lot of kids are actually missing a lot more than that. Um, so we're talking about students falling behind in class. We're talking about entire classrooms disrupted because some students are falling behind. The teacher now has to decide, do I work with those students? Do I work with the students who've been here the whole time? Uh, it is really, really disruptive and puts the kibosh on any effort to help students recover from the pandemic, uh, to reform schools. Uh, you just can't have an effective school if the kids aren't there. Hmm. So um, what are what are school districts trying to do? I mean, absenteeism is a problem for administrators and teachers and, and the people who run the schools, but it is largely in the control of the people in the home, you know, the parents or the grandparents or whoever is uh, in charge of the student. That's They're really up to them to make sure they get to school. So what can school districts actually do about this problem? Sure, it's a great question. And I appreciate your sort of opening the lens beyond school districts. I mean, there's a lot that districts can do. Um, as I went around reporting this piece, I asked everybody, okay, who's responsible for getting kids to school? Um, and the most convincing answer I heard was, well, it's all of us. Parents have a role, of course. There's things that school districts can do, and I'll jump into that. But you have to look even further. Um, there's public health concerns. Asthma drives absenteeism in Detroit. Uh, uh, the housing system, housing instability, homelessness, those are huge drivers. Uh, and of course, the things that we can do to improve that situation uh, are well outside the purview of most parents and of school districts. Um, getting to school districts, though, uh, let me just give you an example of a parent who, like so many in Detroit, is uh, driving their kid to and from school. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents are not using the bus for a variety of reasons. Um, say this parent works uh, a typical nine to five. They're able to get their kid to school in the morning, but school ends at like three. So how do they handle the fact that their work doesn't end until well after school lets out? Um, one solution, and a little counterintuitive, but if you think about it, uh, you can have after-school care. This is something that uh, Dr. Vitti, the Detroit District Superintendent, has talked about, something I've heard quite a bit about from researchers. If you just put a program after school to give kids a safe and nurturing place to be for a couple of hours, that really lightens the load on working parents. And it makes it a little easier for them to take their kids to school in the morning, uh, knowing that they'll be able to pick them up safe in the evening. Hmm. Uh, you also point out that the child, the federal child tax credit might be the single best thing we can do, reinstating that, uh, to help chronic absenteeism. Uh, we were just talking with, uh, with State Rep. Joe Tate, who's going to be Speaker of the House in Lansing. He says that they are going to take another crack at the state version of the EITC, but talk about how this idea, this whole idea of a child tax credit affects absenteeism. Sure. Um, so one of the advocates I spoke to, Larry Simmons, a pastor in the, in the city who's mm -hmm. done a lot of work on this, he said, um, you know, chronic absenteeism has a systemic root. It's poverty and the consequences of poverty. When the car breaks down, that crisis, which for most people would be manageable, isn't manageable anymore for folks who are dealing with the sort of layered costs of poverty. Um, you know, their social networks are stretched thin. They don't have the money maybe to, to fix up the car. Uh, and so those uh, those challenges add up. And often, you know, very reasonably, a parent says, well, I need to get food on the table. I need to make sure that I have transportation. I need to make, I need to make sure uh, that I get to work. We're talking about uh, helping your family survive, right? And, and attendance at school moves down the priority list. So uh, eliminating some of those pressures, some of those stresses on families who are experiencing poverty uh, could have a really, really positive impact on school attendance uh, and and everything good that flows from that. Yeah. I, I do want to talk uh, in the couple of minutes we have left about the results from last week, the election results. Uh, Republicans ran a lot of activists who attacked public schools for teaching, quote, woke ideology and used fears over LGBTQ inclusion in their pitches. Uh, they didn't do that well at the ballot box. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, we saw they, they lost more than they won. Um, a lot of candidates uh, I, I spoke to were disappointed. They uh, felt that they saw a red wave coming and that they would uh, benefit from that. They uh, sort of were, were thinking that the remarkable energy that you saw in some of these school board meetings, very contentious school board meetings where folks who uh, were upset about the way schools handled the pandemic or more recently cultural issues um, were incredibly activated, angry in many cases. Um, 
And, you know, they were thinking they would uh, ride that wave of energy into office. It didn't happen in most districts. Um, their argument now is, well, we've changed the narrative and we're going to continue to draw more folks. Did you see some evidence for that in places like Dearborn, um, where there really was a, a small but uh, pretty clear and measurable shift in voter behavior? More folks broke for, for Dixon than Bill Schuette in 2018. Whitmer lost some votes in Dearborn, which is a, a site of, of a lot of what we could call culture wars debates over schools. Um, but ultimately, Whitmer won Dearborn easily. Mm -hmm. um, so while they may have made some gains at the margins here, uh, it seems like overall it was a rough night on Tuesday for them. Okay. All right. Uh, Kobe Levin of Chalkbeat, always great to have you here to talk about education issues here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and uh, we're going to talk about uh, something else. Uh, this is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Uh, Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll talk again tomorrow.